Um, welcome to the May 2nd, 2023 Lawrence City Commission meeting. We are going to start off tonight with an executive session and then we'll come back when we're done with that at 545 to um, have a regular meeting. So I ask for a motion. I move we recess in executive session for approximately 30 minutes to discuss privileged legal communications from the city's attorney regarding city code provisions and state law pursuant to KSA 75-4319B2. The justification for the executive session is to keep attorney-client privilege matters confidential at this time. The city commissioners will resume its regular meeting in the city commission room at 5.31 p.m. after the executive session is concluded. Second. I got a first and second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? It passes four to zero. <clears throat> okay, we're back from an executive session. We have nothing to report, and we will go into recess until 545 at the start of our regular meeting. Thank you. Good evening, welcome to the May 2nd, 2023 Lawrence City Commission meeting. We will begin this evening with a few items from Sherry, our clerk. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening, everyone. Uh, if you are attending this meeting via Zoom, please ensure you are muted and your video is off when you are not actively participating in the meeting. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. When you are participating, please unmute and turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat. All chats go directly to the meeting host. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. When the mayor calls for public comment, those attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered. Those participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Participants will be called upon in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. Please state your name before speaking and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. We'll start with item B, which is to approve the agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, and or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Is there any commissioner that would like to change the agenda? No? Move to approve the agenda. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 I got a, uh, all passes five to zero. On to item C, which is proclamations. We've got several this evening. We'll begin with a proclamation for missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, two-spirit trans, and people awareness today. Do we have somebody to speak? I believe we have several speakers for that. Come on up. My name is Diarlyn Bell. I'm a board member of the Indigenous Community Center. Um, violence against Indigenous people in the United States is a crisis, but the extent of the problem remains unknown. 
In 2020, more than 9,500 cases involving Indigenous people were reported, and nearly 1,500 were still active cases at the end of 2020. The lack of overall data is only one of the issues that local MMIW advocate groups and tribes have been talking about for years. And now that MMIW crisis, the MMIW crisis has more of a national spotlight, federal and state entities are starting to pay attention. In some tribal communities, indigenous women face murder rates that are more than 10 times the national average, according to the Department of Justice. In 2017, homicide was reported as the fourth leading cause of death among indigenous women between the ages of one and 19 years old, and the sixth leading cause of death for ages 20 to 44, according to the CDC control and prevention. In a report from the National Institute of Justice, 84% of indigenous women experience violence in their lifetime compared to 71% of white women. Savannah Zach directs the Justice Department to review, revise, and develop law enforcement and justice protocols to address missing and murdered indigenous people. Good day, everyone. I'm Sierra Tubles. I'll be speaking in the last part. Some of the requirements from Savannah's Act include having the Attorney General in cooperation with the Secretary of Interior, consult with tribes on how to improve tribal data relevance and access to databases. The Justice Department also needs to provide training to law enforcement agencies on how to re record tribal enrollment or victims in federal databases, as well as develop and implement a strategy to educate the public. Violence against Native people is not an epidemic. An epidemic is biological and blameless. Violence against Native people is historical and political, bounded by oppression and colonial violence. We want to do more than just survive. We seek nothing more than human dignity and nothing less than justice. Ilamaya, thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll proceed with the right, um, reading the proclamation. Whereas there is not a comprehensive estimate of the indigenous women, girls, two-spirit, trans, and peoples who are missing and murdered in the United States. But many factors contribute to this crisis, such as fear, stigma, legal barriers, racism, sexism, and the devastating levels of violence in the U.S. And whereas, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in 2018, homicide is the second leading cause of death among indigent women and girls between ages 10 and 24 years, and the fifth leading cause of death for the indigenous women between 25 and 34 years of age. And whereas in 2016, the crime, National Crime Information Center reported nearly, nearly 6,000 cases of missing American Indian and Alaska Native women and girls, but the US, U.S. Department of Justice was tracking only about 100 cases. And whereas still little data exists on the number of missing indigenous women, girls, two-spirit, trans, and peoples in the United States, but there, but there have been instances of violence towards them for the, towards them from the four Kansas Native American tribes. And whereas on July 1st, 2021, a law became effective allowing the Kansas Attorney General to coordinate training for law enforcement agencies on missing and murdered indigenous people. Whereas we honor the lives of missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, two-spirit, trans, and peoples whose cases are documented and undocumented in the public records in the media and demonstrate solidarity with the families of the victims in light of those tragedies. Now therefore, I, Lisa Larson, mayor of the city of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim 
May 5th, 2023, as Missing and Murder Indigenous Women, Girls, Two-Spirit, Trans, and People's Awareness Day, and call upon all Lawrence citizens to commemorate the lives of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, Two-Spirit, Trans, and people, peoples, and call attention to the many missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, Two-Spirit, Trans, and peoples, as well as those who have been who have experienced violence and assault and resolve to act to further prevent to prevent further victimization. Thank you. Okay, our next proclamation is the week of May 7th through the 13th as drinking water week. We've got Trevor. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. I'm Trevor Flynn, our Assistant Director for Municipal Services and Operations Department, and I'm pleased that I have one of our water treatment plant operators, Casey Shockley, joining me tonight. Um, in Lawrence, we, water treatment occurs at two water treatment plants before being distributed through miles of underground water mains and pipes. The Caw River Water Treatment Plant opened in 1917 and draws water from the Kansas River and six alluvial wells. The Clinton Water Treatment Plant opened in 1980 and utilizes water from the Clinton Reservoir. We are fortunate to have two water treatment plants that utilize different sources of water. This builds tremendous resiliency in our operations and how we can reliably deliver high quality drinking water to our customers. Our municipal services and operations department is not only committed to the treatment and delivery of safe drinking water, but we strive to improve and optimize our treatment processes and protect the water quality of our source waters. All these efforts won't be possible without the highly trained, experienced, and responsible staff we have working on our teams here in Lawrence. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Casey and our dedicated staff, particularly our treatment plant operators that cover the plants 24 hours a day, our maintenance and field staff that perform preventative maintenance activities, and work tirelessly to maintain our pumping and distribution system while per performing emergency repairs at a moment's notice in all weather conditions day and night. Our automation staff to ensure we have controls and instruments to monitor our water quality and processes in real time and our laboratory staff that collect and analyze thousands of samples each year. And not to mention the many staff members that support us in performing these critical functions. All to ensure the city maintains continuous and reliable safe drinking water and fire protection for our community. Thank you. Thank you. I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas May 7th through the 13th of 2023 has been declared as Drinking Water Week across the United States. And whereas Laurentians are privileged to have two primary sources of water with the Kansas River and Clinton Reservoir providing a bountiful source of fresh water. And whereas wa water is one of the Lawrence's important natural resources essential for public health, fire protection, and quality of life. And whereas drinking water serves a vital role in the daily life of our citizens, serving an essential purpose to our community's health, hydration, and hygiene needs. This vital work is performed by the City of Lawrence staff, which includes engineers, designing capital projects, operators ensuring the safety and quality of drinking water, and members of pipe crews maintaining the infrastructure that the community relies on to transport high-quality drinking water from its source to consumers' taps. It's crucial to the prosperity and health of our community. And whereas the City of Lawrence operates and maintains two water treatment plants, seven water towers, 3,688 fire hydrants, 
343 miles of water distribution lines, and 117 miles of water transmission mains. And whereas we are all stewards of the water infrastructure upon which we upon which current and future generations depend, the citizens of Lawrence are called upon to help protect our source waters from pollution, practice water conservation, and get involved with their water by familiarizing themselves with the process. Now, therefore, I, Lisa Larson, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim the week of May 7th through the 13th of 2023 as Drinking Water Week. And I encourage all residents of Lawrence to actively learn about community water infrastructure and to use our voices, both online and in person, to share why water is essential and valuable and in need of more investment to ensure its equi equitable access across the entire nation. Thank you. All right, next proclamation is proclaim May of 2023 as Community Action Month. And we've got, um, we got somebody attending virtually, is that right? Lily? Lily? Uh, I'm here. Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> if I can get my, okay, I'm here. Oh, hi, Lily. Hi. Well, hi. Yes, hi. <laughs> yes, and my name is Lily O'Corny, and I do thank um, Douglas Cunning for showing up the support when um, a low-income family is in need of rent, utility, and uh, food also. So I, I do appreciate this week and uh, this month to be Community Action Month. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you. I'll go ahead and read the proclamation now. Whereas Community Action has made essential contributions to individuals and families across this nation by creating economic opportunities and strengthening communities, and whereas Community Action is a robust state and local force connecting people to life-changing services and creating pathways to prosperity in 99% of all American counties. And whereas community action builds and promotes economic stability as an essential aspect of enabling and enhancing stronger communities and stable homes, and whereas community action promotes community-wide solutions to challenges throughout our cities, our suburbs, and rural areas, and whereas community action delivers innovative services and support that create greater opportunities for families and children to succeed, and whereas community action insists on community participation and involvement, ensuring that all sectors of the community have a voice and will be heard. And whereas Community Action is celebrating 58 years of innovation, impact, and providing proven results for Americans. Now, therefore, I, Lisa Larson, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim May of 2023 as Community Action Month in recognition of the hard work and dedication of, of all City of Lawrence community action agencies. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we've got our next one is proclaim May of 2023 as Mental Health Month. I believe we got Patrick Schmitz with Burt Nash. Thank you. I'll hand him out. That's all right. Thank you, Mayor Larson, City Commissioners, uh, for the opportunity to be here and recognize Mental Health Awareness Month. Our theme this past year at the Burton Ash Center was You Belong. 
For the last 72 years, the Burt Nash Center has made a commitment to the community that, we'll, that we will be the safety net for anyone who needs help. Last year, we served close to 5,000 clients and we worked to fulfill our mission of responding to needs, restoring lives, and building a healthy community. I want to share with you some of the incredible strides the center made in these past 12 months. We challenged ourselves to meet not just one, but two national standards of excellence, and we achieved both last summer. We became a certified community behavioral health clinic, making us the first 501c3 in the nation to achieve certification all on its own without funding through a demonstration project, expansion grant, or any direct state or municipal funding. The second achievement was receiving a three-year accreditation of excellence from the Commission on the Accreditation of Rehabilitation Facilities. Out of over 2,100 uh, standards that were reviewed, we only needed to address 13 of those and, and make some improvements. Third, our team implemented a new way of delivering a full range of intensive and highly integrated services to our most vulnerable neighbors who have been diagnosed with a serious mental illness. This is a new program we called the Assertive Community Treatment Team, or ACT. Fourth, in partnership with Kansas Suicide Prevention Headquarters and, and our other behavioral, heart par, uh, behavioral health partners, we activated the new mobile uh, response team in early September alongside with the nationwide 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Next, with the significant support of the City of Lawrence and you commissioners, we were able to expand our homeless outreach team this past year, more than doubling our team members who are out in the community serving those impacted by houselessness. And of course, we focused on working with our partners to open the new Treatment and Recovery Center of Douglas County, uh, which began its phased opening on April the 10th. This list of accomplishments was made possible because of the support of our generous supporters, stakeholders, and many in our community, including the City of Lawrence. And although we've expanded and implemented new transformative programs, we have so much more to do to break the destructive cycle of untreated mental illness. We remain committed to serving anyone who comes through our doors, regardless of their ability to pay. And we are creating a culture that's inclusive of race, gender identity, faith, spirituality, ability, and sexual orientation. At the Burt Nash Center, you belong. Thank you for your continued support. Thank you, Patrick. I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas the U.S. Surgeon General states that mental health is fundamental to health, personal well-being, family, and, and interpersonal relationships, and contributes to community and society. And whereas mental, mental illness affects one in four Americans every year, regardless of age, gender, race, ethnicity, religion, or economic status. And whereas the U.S. Surgeon General has found that a range of treatments exists for most mental disorders in the efficacy of mental health health treatments are well documented. And whereas Lawrence, Kansas has made a commitment to community-based systems of mental health care for all residents, whereas the guiding principles of community health care have always been comprehensiveness, cost efficiency, effective management, and high quality 
in consumer responsive services. And whereas Mental Health America, the National Council for Community Behavioral Health Care, and the Burton Nash Community Mental Health Center observe Mental Health Month every May to raise awareness, understanding of mental health and illness. Now, therefore, I, Lisa Larson, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim the month of May of 2023 as Mental Health Month in the City of Lawrence and call upon all citizens, government agencies, public and private institutions, businesses, and schools to recommit our community to increasing awareness and understanding of mental health and the need for appropriate and accessible services for all people with mental health. Thank you. Thank you very much. And our final proclamation tonight is proclaim May of 2023 as Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We have Zing Wang. Yes. Dr. Wang. I'm ZJ Wang, uh, President of Asian Asian American Faculty and Sub Council at University of Kansas. Um, so the purpose of our organization is to, for members to show social, prom, uh, promote leadership, as well as um, address issues of common concern. I'm also uh, a professor also at the Aerospace Engineering Department. So by the way, we have a great Aerospace yeah. Engineering Department at KU. Uh, so on behalf of our organization, uh, Asian, Asian American Faculty Staff Council, I'm here really to express my gratitude to uh, Mayor Larson and the city of uh, Lawrence for this uh, historical uh, proclamation. So I definitely would like to urge all of us to take actions uh, to fight against Asian hate or hate uh, of uh, any hate for that matter. So let's work together to make uh, Lawrence even better to live and uh, to work. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll read the proclamation. Whereas an observance, observance of Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage, also known as AAPI month, the city of Lawrence recognizes the month of May in commemoration of the migration of the first immigrants from Japan to the United States on May 7th of 1843. And whereas individuals of AAPI heritage are recognized for their significant contributions to our nation's history and cultural, including but not not limited to the business sector, uh, literature, arts, politics, military, law enforcement, science, and technology, and whereas contributions of individuals of AAPI heritage would not have normally been seen or heard if these individuals hadn't put in additional efforts as, un as unfortunately required of institutions and systems based on racism in this country, and whereas the city of Lawrence looks forward to building and strengthening relationships with various organizations and individuals of AAPI heritage, and whereas every person of AAPI heritage and descent is to be honored and celebrated by and with the community and respected as part of the history and culture of the city of Lawrence. Now therefore I, Lisa Larson, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby pro proclaim May 2023 as Asian American and Pacific Island Islander Heritage Month. And I encourage all of our community to take this opportunity to reflect on the past and present achievements of all individuals of AAPI heritage as demonstrated. Thank you. Okay, 
We're on to item D, which is public comment. The public is allowed to speak on issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Comments should be limit limited to issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Each person will be limited to three minutes time. So we'll start out. Go ahead. Am I ready? Yep. Um, my name is Jen Woolsey. I am an individual with lived experience in homelessness. I am an individual who identifies living with a mental health illness. I am an individual who has trauma from, it's called authority trauma, due to the hands of police. I'm also a master level social worker, and I've been able to overcome a lot. When I first started in this, with the city of Lawrence when I worked with y'all, one of the first things I did was um, reach out to the health department in, in DECA and asked about Narcan. I was told that they were focused on preventative measures and they didn't see that Narcan was preventative. I came from Denver, carried Narcan with me, had an open prescription for it. Sounded completely foreign to me. So I started having more meetings. And then I asked for Narcan and we brought Narcan out to the camps, to the encampments for those who don't know. Unsanctioned and sanctioned, we didn't discriminate because what we learned was substance use disorder or co-occurrence doesn't discriminate. So we got Narcan out there. And then I had a meeting with Shelby, love her, she's great. Shelby Patch, risk management, does a great job. And she said, Jen, what are you doing? I said, I'm handing out Narcan. And she said, are you trained to administer Narcan? I said, of course I am. I'm CPR certified, first aid certified as well. I said, let me put it on record for you. And I sent my certifications. Because you can't work out there without having those things. Because again, breathing is a necessity for everyone. Breathing is not just for the housed. I wasn't planning on coming back here, ever. It's pointless for me. So I was just at the support site. I think it's important for you to know I was on the other side of the gate because of course I was trespassed last week. Cops were called on me falsely. Someone who has authority trauma, doesn't matter, falsely. Everybody knows that I'm a human service provider. Everybody knows that I'm an advocate. Everybody knows that I'm a master social worker. Everybody knows that I have lived experience. Anyways, out there, someone fell. Overdose, again. Thankfully, somebody who wasn't supposed to be on that site said forget it, ran back there. Narcan didn't work, but CPR did. Thanks. Okay, next. You guys gonna send the police to arrest people? A lot has happened since this commission last met, and it'd be nice if your city staff that's been in charge of all these bullshit decisions would pay attention. Because she's over there, don't have time to listen to Jen Woolsey. Why you guys are screwing the homeless? Screwing them bad. On the 21st of March, a woman was found dead, had been in that tent for how many days? 
We don't know, do we? That evening, two reporters were trespassed out of there. You don't like one of them, obviously. But you can't do anything about it. I have subscribers. I am a reporter. I am a journalist. Tough shit. I went back out there on the 27th and challenged it after your boy Brandon here ran from me at City Hall claiming he had to go get his kids. He couldn't answer a question that he committed to having an answer to me by 5 o'clock. I hate getting lied to by city staff, making commitments and then not fulfilling them. Just like you, Mayor Larson, up there making all those proclamations tonight. Mental Health Awareness Month. Do you really give a shit? You're ready to bulldoze camps. You have trespassed people out of that camp that have saved lives. While your staff stands there lost, not knowing what to do. Your staff member Joshua out there, standing there not knowing what to do. While people that have had the police called on them run in to save somebody's life. That's how this town operates. Trespass journalists create a policy. Here's the interesting thing is, we were out there today, the advocates were, and we dropped off hamburgers. Actually, it was Nancy and Shelly that brought the hamburgers, and there were um, pamphlets, the actual policy that Craig supposedly signed on the 21st, but it's really interesting. Different colored ink, handwritten dates, real fishy. Some fishy shit going on in this town. But in any case, we hand out the policies out there to the people to let them know how the staff's supposed to behave. Because here's what your city staff did. May not have been malicious, but it's tone deaf as hell. They go out there and they put up on that bulletin board all the policies that the residents have to follow. But nothing about the rest of the paper, I mean literally five other, six other pages that detail what the staff is supposed to do. So we educated the residents out there about what the staff is supposed to do now. And we've asked them to document that for us. You guys are screwed if you don't get your shit together. Because you're not treating this right and you're rushing into this pallet thing and releasing an RFP today when you're talking about having that thing up in June. Time. Next. Hi, I'm Linda Wheeler been resident of Lawrence, Kansas since 1976, and most of those I've lived in the Prairie Park neighborhood. I am infuriated and heartbroken over the destruction and mismanagement of such a valuable resource as the ancient prairie that was sprayed with herbicide, causing irreparable harm. And in the light of ongoing recent developments at the Nature Center, it makes me question the sincerity of the city whether it's the city parks department managers, staff, finance director, or who knows, wanting to give us a chance to make the Nature Center and its surrounding area less of a financial burden on the city. The Nature Center, I hear, had a great first quarter, but now I see the gift shop, including items made and donated by individuals in Lawrence, has been dismantled and taken down. It's no longer there. Nobody knows where the stuff is. Donation box, gone. Though I also learned that many times that the donations were not being credited to Prairie Park revenue, 
they were being credited to city or parks department revenue, I'm not sure which. And the use of the staff in the center as a drop-off transfer point for injured uh, wildlife and birds has been rescinded. It's no longer allowed there. Not through any higher authorities agent, but from city direction. Um, the city had held a brainstorming meeting late last year. Seem, it seems to have been a farce. There's been zero follow-up. We were promised information on the survey they took at the meeting. Nothing has been shared, no other meetings called, nothing. Um, they promised at the meeting that they were gonna share it. I'm trying not to be cynical and paranoid, but I can't help feeling, and I know I'm not alone, that someone or someones want the Nature Center to be too much of a burden for the city. Allowing the city to get rid of it in the surrounding land to private individuals or businesses or development. The city needs to use the myriad of resources and knowledgeable individuals available to help with the continued success and growth of the Nature Center in the management of the valuable resources still remaining, uh, the natural resources still remaining around it. There are many who would help and many of them would help for free. And it's not being taken advantage of. Time. It had been, oh, thank you. Thank you. Good evening, uh, I'm Lori Greenfield. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, come before you as a Lawrence resident of over 30 years, a mom of three kids, a coach, a gardener, a volunteer, and a proud educator of the Lawrence Public Schools. And tonight as the vice president and board member of the Prairie Park, Nature, uh, Prairie Park Neighborhood Association. Yes, it's been a while since I've been here, um, but things appear to be going well. Um, things were going, but we've been actively watching and listening, and we thought the city was doing the same. Um, you know, last week you had proclamations on Earth Day, uh, and you know we taught in our schools preserving the Earth. Um, it's very sad that after Earth Day, we had the article come out about uh, the native grasses and the destruction that has happened to those native grasses. Um, those native grasses have been here for over a hundred years. I not my wheelhouse, but that's what I understand. I do understand that you have to be state certified in order to spray them, as my son is um, a, a landscaper and has that certification. And he wonders why that got sprayed when you know that it shouldn't have been. So this leads me to questions. It leads me to questions, why was the gift shop shut down? How can donations to the Nature Center, donations to the gift shop be taken away? And where are they? Um, you know, these items were donated and money was donated to the Nature Center. So is there a liability on this city right now for where that money is financially? Um, I, I'm, I, I just have a lot of wonderings here. Um, 
you know, the groups that, that Linda um, formed, I mean, that Linda mentioned about the brainstorming, where are we at with that process? Who in the community have, has been in, included in that? Where is the continuation of that? Um, you saw the support that came out last, last summer for the Nature Center. This community will rally around it again if needed. Um, as we approach Teacher Appreciation Week, um, you know, we should be celebrating the Nature Center and its vast educational opportunities. The programs are full, there's lots of events, and we need to continue to celebrate that, not put it down. I'm on my way to a cyber attack training through Douglas County Emergency Management, and yet it seems and feels like we're getting attacked from within city leadership and authorities. Not you as governance, but from within. Thank you. Hello, uh, my name is Joseph, and I'm here to speak about the problem that the city has caused at the Prairie Park Prairie. Uh, this is horrible for that neighborhood's ecosystem and the states in general. Courtney Masterson, an ecologist who is working with the University of Kansas to try to save what has, can be saved from the damage that's been done, has said that our prairie provides native seeds to various sites across the state, and that can no longer be done now that some of these wildflowers have been killed forever, potentially. So this has not only possibly ruined our local 6,000-year-old native, 6, native land, it may have set back other restoration sites across the state. The city's press release that came out about this takes no accountability and does not match what others were told when they also inquired. Ken Lastman, who first noticed the damage and was concerned about this, uh, was told that this was a mistake by the people who did it, but that does not match what the release says. The release says that this was done specifically and intentionally, and that does not fit what the damage has been and how this was done. This was done on a weekday last Thursday, and kids explored that field that same day. Can anyone who made this decision or did the spraying say that it would be safe for children to be in? Is it legal to not have notice or signs so that people know that a herbicide recently covered that whole area before children played in it? Just last year, you saw how many citizens were disappointed with your plan for the Nature Center and that land, and we said that the services from the Nature Center and that protection of that donated to you land was very important to us. Not even a full year later, you've cut service for the Nature Center by being a drop-off point for that injured wildlife and now destroyed the natural prairie. I find it very convenient for you, the city, that some of the main reasons people oppose the closure and the sale for commercial use are now gone. Other people won't say that these actions are malicious, but I don't agree with that. Just to humor this and say that it was a mistake, it shows incredible incompetence on the part of who made this decision. It has never been done this way before for good reason, and this is an indictment on people who allowed it to happen like Pat Hennessy. Pat Hennessy has been in their position for a very long time and should know that you cannot broadcast spray a native area like that without causing damage to all of the plants, not just the broadleaf that they were intending to. At best, this shows us that the people making decisions for the land and for the center are unfit, and at worst, it shows us that the city will make empty promises to get crowds of people out of their lobby and then do whatever they want anyway. If the two options that we have to accept for this are ineptitude or spite, then that should be a problem for you. 
To the other citizens here, I am worried that the Nature Center building will be a preschool sooner than you think, and I desperately hope that you, the City Commission, look into this and please try to figure out where the problem is and how this can be fixed. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Joseph. Hi, my name is Sue Herrick, and I'm here tonight to add to concerns. I know that all of us are here because we care in one way or the other about this city. Our politics may not always line up, but we have that in common. Tonight I'm here to bring your attention to a travesty that if it's not addressed, will ruin the city. If I had known of this, or let me put it this way, had this been in place 20 years ago, when my husband and I came here to invest in this town, we would have flushed our ideas of coming to Lawrence. What I'm talking about is in the headlines of our newspaper a week ago today, where it says a teen gets probation for shooting at pedestrians downtown. It's, a, it's almost like a trifecta. We have a DA and a judge and the city newspaper involved here. The city newspaper plays this down by calling him a teen. Technically he is, but he's 19. He's not 13. When this came to trial, or came to their attention, they pursued it and let it go with a quote from him saying he never intended to harm anyone. He fired shots in the vicinity of Silas and Maddie's and it was picked up on the dash cam or whatever it is that police patrol cars have. There's no ifs and ands about this. A 19-year-old fired at will at pedestrians but got off because he thinks he did not intend to harm anyone. <coughs> the state code calls for two years in prison for activity like this with a handgun. Unless you have a judge, and I'm gonna quote this, a judge that finds compelling reasons to mitigate the sentence. A judge here in town named um, Stacy Donovan made that decision based on his lack of a criminal history. And it must have been okayed by our DA, Susan Valdez, for this to have gone through. It, uh, you know, it almost leaves me speechless when I come here to talk to you about this. If we walked out of here tonight and somebody fired at us, I don't think we'd want him to let, be let go if he just had no intention of hurting us. Time. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. Next. My name is Shannon Hodges. I'm a local resident, uh, business owner. 
Uh, I'm speaking you, to you today to express my feelings about the recent use of chemical herbicide on the remnant prairie located near the Prairie Park Nature Center. I have spoken in front of the commission before as an advocate for the preservation of our historic Oak Hill Cemetery which, like the Nature Center, is overseen by the Lawrence Parks and Recreation Department. Sadly, I find myself here again feeling both overwhelmed and outraged at the negligence and apparent disregard that this department has shown toward the care of our historic, cultural, and now environmental resources. I am very new in my awareness of the importance and deep significance of our native prairie ecosystem. My understanding from those who know vastly more than me is that this area is several thousands of years old, is a vitally important natural resource and that the damage that has been done may be irreversible. Worse yet, the public response from the Parks and Recreation Department has been to double down on their actions and in doing so making it very clear that this action was done with both hubris and intent. I'm deeply concerned about the responsibilities entrusted to the Parks and Recreation Department caring for sacred places in our community. Cultural, historic, and natural resources matter. Caring for them requires specialized knowledge, personal and professional investment, and an understanding of their importance to our heritage. Our strategic plan outlined six commitments to our community. Number two is efficient and effective processes, intentional and consistent delivery of city services. We focus on process improvement by working collaboratively to understand needs, research, adapt, and develop successful solutions. Trustworthy processes are the foundation for the delivery of city services. Number six reads, environmental sustainability. A deep respect for our place in relationship with the planet and environment. We consider the environmental consequences of every decision, big and small, knowing that our actions have impacts beyond our boundaries. We protect and restore the ecosystem to make it a healthier and more balanced, to make it healthier and more balanced for future generations. The actions taken at Prairie Park are in direct opposition to these commitments. The damage to the Prairie Remnant has already been done. It may never be undone. However, I ask you this evening to reflect on these statements and the disconnect that exists between these commitments and the actions of our Parks and Recreation staff and the outcomes for our community. I believe we can do so much better. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Amelia Hadel. I'm gonna follow that up with some numbers. $50,000 of grant funding, unmeasurable private investments, 278 species of birds, countless hours of volunteer time across multiple organizations, less than 1% of natural grasslands remain, and we need to protect these endangered landscapes. Uh, Pat Hennessy's explanation was a good start, but we need plans to include a list of noxious weeds and other invasious invasive species as identified by the Kansas Department of Agriculture to start a plan for less environmentally harmful mitigation going forward. Pat had indicated his notice in his notice today that they reduced burns, but did burn this year just before the native planting. We need identification of those plants that they were trying to mitigate um, so that he can team up with experts. Um, there's multiple organizations with a vast amount of experts that have been involved in this project. Um, whether it be the Grassland Heritage Foundation or experts at the KU Field Station. Um, and they've all donated their time and knowledge to making this happen. There needs to be a better system in place for the approval of work. Um, so that when we go to the Nature Center, things like this don't happen. Um, we need 
parks to work with those local experts in unison. Um, we have families moving into the neighborhood specifically for bird watching. I will hear my neighbors say, oh, I love this neighborhood because I can see all the different species of birds. Um, we also have a lot of learning resources at Prairie Park that again, families are attracted to the neighborhood for the opportunity for their kids to explore and learn about nature. Um, it's a big draw for home values. Um, just looking at facts and figures, it is a big draw for taxes and the income that allows us all to support the projects that we love and do our jobs here. Um, I urge you to please and thank you pay serious attention to this issue um, and also consider the idea that maybe an Audubon consultant, someone that knows about birds, could potentially be a resource too. Um, it could have impacted the bird population. And we do get tourism for that also. And we have a lot of events. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Hi, I'm Amy Buffman. I wouldn't drink the water here. It definitely has fluoride in it to the tune of $10,000 a year. I distill my water and add nutrients back to it. I see what's in the bottom of my distiller after a gallon is distilled. It's disgusting, black and brown residue. Maybe the time we celebrate our second week of celebrating drinking water in 2024, you can come back correct with your claim that it is in fact good to drink. Fluoride is not good for you, it's just another way our government poisons us. We got chemtrails, terrible food, terrible medical systems that just want us to pay for medicine that harms us and keeps people in their system paying for no cure. Also, it doesn't sit well with me that my friend called the police because someone brandished a gun on him and threatened him and the police not only talked to the guy that pulled the gun first and let him leave before he even talked to my friend. And nothing was done. Then I find out that the DA and a judge, hang on, gave a 19-year-old guy two years probation for firing a gun in downtown Lawrence. This city is doing a terrible job keeping it good here. What terrible management. Thank you. Yeah. Any other? Chris. Hello, this is Chris Flowers. Um, i just like to bring up the Prairie Park thing. Um, I've, I mean, I haven't done it in recent memory because, like, at this point, what's the point? It's kind of useless, but I have brought up quit using herbicides in our our parks before, and I, I, I think I've, I've, I know I've done it at Douglas County Commission meeting also. And with what sh has just happened, I think the city should consider it because um, my question is: Do you all think the city really meant to do to do what has happened? Um, I honestly don't know because it just it baffles my mind. Like, why would you? 
kill all those flowers in the name of kill, wiping out a weed. Like you're gonna say you're gonna save the prairie by killing all the flowers to get rid of the weeds that are gonna harm it. Like it, it doesn't seem to make sense to me. Um, and I'm just wondering if maybe someone did make a mistake and now the city's because if you read that press release, it doesn't it doesn't say a mistake was made, but it doesn't necessarily say things were a success. Like a mistake could have happened and and that press release would have covered it because it doesn't really say if, if things were a success or a failure. Um, I was just wondering what what do you all think? I mean, do you think this was right? I I think the citizens um, demand a response from the commission on this because stuff's happened before, and we've come and asked, "Hey, what's going on?" And then we no one really responds. I think this is something we're going to demand a response about. Um, also, the press release, I I think it kind of seemed like the city was downplaying the severity of what's happened. And when it comes to like how the city responds, I want to bring something else, and that's the the story in the, the Lawrence Times about the no visitor policy at the homeless camp. And I think the city um, said best practices was the reason, but then they don't give a source. Like if, if the city's going to start saying we're doing this because of best practices, I think the city needs to present data, like the data or like a study or whatever is behind what they're claiming is best practices because I think the city I think the city might be just saying hey we're we're doing best practices but they're just doing what they want and claiming it's best practices without any like actual proof um, and just in general I, I think the city's really dropped the ball and y'all need to start Hold, doing a better job of holding this uh, city accountable. Thank you. Any other public comment from the audience? If not, we'll go to Zoom. Sarah Kinder. Hi, um, my name is Sarah Kinder and I've lived in Lawrence for my entire life and I'm currently a social work student at KU. I also have lived experience in homelessness. Commissioners, I'm asking you all to look at our city sanctioned campsite and its current policies. It's frustrating to see an issue where so many members of our community have shown up and offered to assist, but have been barred from helping. It doesn't make sense not to allow volunteers and advocates into the site and it's unacceptable to be going as far as calling the police on advocates for just wanting to give their assistance. And it scares me that children will now be staying at the support site as there's no plan for supporting them. Uh, people have been dying, including one of my close friends, Tony Cipollero. At his funeral, his mom called for people to advocate for better resources to be provided for members of our community. It is obvious that current our current course of action is not working and individuals' needs are not being met. And according to a Lawrence Times article, staff members are able to make many decisions about homelessness initiatives without commission approval, as long as they follow existing ordinances. And this has proven to be ineffective and has led to horrific results, including an increase in violence at the site. 
there was a petition started by one of the members of the city sanction site um, for requesting um, their voices be heard instead of fences be put up, and it now has 90 signatures. This is something that our community cares about, and it urgently needs addressed. Uh, you have set May to be Community Action Month. Uh, let's allow our community to contribute to the solutions that they know will be best for them and can and help out. Thank you. Melinda Ball. Hello, my name is Melinda Ball. I'm an active voter, 20 year and a 20 year taxpaying resident of Lawrence. I am here today to voice my rage, frustration and true disappointment with the city and parks rec department. A couple days ago, a massacre took place on Ruminant Prairie at the Prairie Park Nature Center by way of a broadleaf herbicide. Ancient native plants were killed in the name of combating a plant that wasn't even present at the time of the spray, the Chinese bush clover. Instead, hundreds of native plants are now dead because of this devastating action. To add further damage, these plants just days prior were attracting bees and other pollinators, which I had witnessed myself, and wildlife, other wildlife, which undoubtedly are also now affected by the permanent death of these plants. Furthermore, the beauty of these plants are unmatched and have been stolen from our community. Simply viewing the plants in bloom, smelling their, their, their scent, brought a sense of peace and wonderment, which we all really need. But no more. It is incredibly hard not to think if this was a deliberate act to further erode the importance of the Prairie Park Nature Center. It appears the city doesn't actually care about native lands and plants, rather maybe more concerned with partnering with developers and allowing said developers not to pay taxes, which ultimately affects our schools and other vital community services. What is the plan to fully restore this land as it was? Who is going to take full responsibility for this terrible action? And is there an assurance that the Prairie Park Nature Center, including the prairie land, will be protected indefinitely? Thank you for your time. Shelley Page. Good evening. I am here in two capacities. One as um, in my professional one, Reverend Shelley Page from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Lawrence. And also um, absolutely devastated resident of the Prairie Park neighborhood. I go to that prairie almost every day. It is sacred space, not only for me, but for so many in this neighborhood and people from across the city who specifically come to our neighborhood to appreciate its beauty, especially the prairie. This is a loss that is incalculable for this neighborhood and for our city, and let alone for the, the actual prairie itself, the remnant, this sacred remnant prairie. We're, in my faith, we believe in interdependence, and this is a violation 
of that interdependence and of sacred space, quite frankly. At this point, the damage has been done, but I can honestly say because I was actually out there up until last week, late last week when I went out of town for a few days, I was documenting every day the return of the plants after the controlled burn that was done earlier in the season. I know what was out there and what was still coming up. This is just a, an incredible travesty and a tragedy for the ecosystem and all of us. My concern at this point is accountability. Someone made decisions to do this and it was ill-advised. David Prairie Park has been working with the native lands restoration people to work on another section of the property to restore native lands. Why wouldn't they be consulted? Why? Someone is making decisions without accountability and without proper um, expertise to do the job. My understanding is that that kind of invasive clover, non-native clover, can be spot, um, taken care of on a spot-by-spot -spot basis, not broad herbicides. After the control burn, you could see exactly what was coming up. I have the documentation right here. I've been doing it all along since the burn. Seriously, accountability is what we need now. And I would really Hi. like to see it to be Thank you. public. Thank you, Shelly. Any other public? Hi, thank you. Yeah, relative to this very Park Nature Center, it's been under attack from the get. The little save that went on relative to the budget that situation several months ago, it was just a cover-up. But I cannot believe that retired Colonel Derek Rogers, charge of Parks and Recreation, did this in a malevolent fashion, and hopefully we can find out what exactly is going on. I, I fished at Mary's Lake when I was four and five years old. At any rate, please refer to the email that I sent in with respect to the police purchase of weapons. I got a semi-answer to the question after uh, the second email with respect to the nature of this gun. It is a fringe benefit for a $2,500 rifle negotiated down to, what, $1,500, $1,800, whatever they negotiated it down to. When the police can go buy $500 rifles from Dick Sporting Goods and it will meet the standard. So please, as you okay the purchase of these 45 additional rifles being put into our town for the personal use of individuals and the secondary aspect of it being, well, they can use it on the job also. But first and foremost, it's a personal gun. So when the stuff hits the fan around these here parts, there's 45 more people with guns. And the next aspect, which I didn't get an answer to, 
Evidently, anybody inside the police department can purchase these deluxe Mercedes-Benz Lexus Maserati-style guns as opposed to the Sears Roebuck models as a fringe benefit. So, if the police can purchase guns as a fringe benefit of the job for the town, can we please have parity for the other folks inside town government with respect to the tools that they use on the job? Uh, some time ago, there was the ability to purchase computers, but I think that that's all stopped. At any rate, that's being a little bit sarcastic. I'm concerned about the willingness of our town commission to approve the purchase of personal toys of Mercedes-Benz style quality. Thanks. Any other public comment on Zoom? Um, that's it, Mayor. All right. Well, commission item E, which is the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on these items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak on an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any commissioners that would like to have an item pulled off the consent agenda? Commissioner Sellers? No. Any member of the um, public audience, would, would you like to have something removed? Mayor, I just had a comment, a public comment. I think I missed my opportunity to speak on behalf of myself and the department to the Prairie Park. Um, yeah, come on up. I'm, I'm fine with that. I appreciate it, Mayor. Vice Mayor, City Commissioners. I'm Derek Rogers. Um, good evening. Um, I and my staff are also upset about the damage that was done at Prairie Park Nature Area last week with the spraying of the herbicides. This was a departmental error and we will conduct a thorough review of what happened. We will hold staff accountable if there's any sort of intentional violation of policy. We will determine if there's a need for additional training and education and or any policy revisions and additions that need to be made to properly address native prairie management so that this doesn't happen again. We're also reaching out to accredited regional experts to seek their assistance in reviewing situational and developing more stringent and clear policies and guidelines to improve how we manage native prairies and our parks. We will also do everything we can to the best we can to restore the plant species that were killed by the herbicides at last week's spraying. As the director and for the department, I offer my sincere apology to the community for the damage we have done to this area and we promise to do better. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Is there anybody on anybody on Zoom that would like to pull something off the consent agenda for further discussion? If not, I'll entertain a motion. Move to approve. <coughs> move to approve the consent agenda. Second. I got a first and second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Uh, passes five to zero. 
Okay, we're going to move on to the regular agenda items. Item number one, consider conducting a public hearing for a vacation request submitted by Capital Federal Savings Bank to vacate drainage easements as described as tract, tracts of land on in lot three, block one, Bauer Farm, 7th Platte, and consider adopting on first reading ordinance number 9985 to vacate drainage easements as described as tracts of land on lot three, block one, Bauer Farm, 7th Platte, in the city of Lawrence, Douglas County, Kansas. Who do we have? Good evening, Mayor, Commissioners. My name is Chris Rice. I'm a project engineer at the city's Municipal Services and Operations Department, and I'll be facilitating the public hearing for this vacation request. And if it's all right, I'm going to share my screen and bring up a few exhibits. Hold on. Excuse me. Be quiet over there. Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? They good? All right, go ahead. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem. Um, unfortunately, I'm not able to share my screen. Chris, I'm, I'm sure if you could allow me to do that. Okay. Yeah, I'm letting you do it right now. You should be good now. Sorry about that. Thank you. Hopefully that's uh, on its way up, but um, we can see it. Um, Actually, we can see your desktop. <laughs> Let me try it one more time. Cool picture. Yeah, that was nice. Drone. Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> but hopefully that's coming up. But um, in short, Capital Federal Savings Bank is looking to redevelop uh, a property commonly known as 4431 Bauer Park Drive. That's at the northwest corner of 6th and Polks. Um, and what I'm sharing now, and hopefully you all can see, is uh, the plat that was recorded in 2015. Uh, these areas in blue here are uh, the drainage easement that was dedicated as part of that plat um, in 2015. So those are located here on the west side of uh, Block 1 lot three, um, as well as this triangular piece here on the southern edge of the property. Um, and so I'm going to switch now to um, that development plan that was considered in 2015, but ultimately didn't come to fruition. Um, so as part of that development, uh, they were hoping to use, um, put detention here in this part of the site, as well as convey some stormwater um, along the western edge of the property. Um, and so in anticipation of that development, these uh, easements were dedicated. Um, however, as I said, that that never came to be. So the current property owner, owner Capital Federal Savings Bank, um, they have a, a different development plan, um, which I'll switch to um, an excerpt of that now. Um, so uh, the site, as they propose using it, um, would not require uh, a detention um, or a drainage easement here. Um, they'll be putting detention in a similar spot, but it's current practice for us um, not to require a drainage easement um, within um, detention areas. Um, and then on this western edge where previously um, there was a drainage easement shown, they're showing a drive aisle here. Um, so uh, MSO staff has reviewed this request to vacate the, the two drainage easements. Um, and as part of that, we reached out to um, utility operators within um, 
the city and uh, we received feedback that our power utility does have some facilities on this western edge um, and so the property owner is proposing dedicating a utility easement as opposed to a drainage easement in lieu of that 30-foot drainage easement. There'll be a reduced 10-foot utility easement for Evergy to continue to utilize, um, as well as these existing easements shown in orange. These um, are utility easements that were recorded with the plat, um, as well as this one here that includes a sanitary sewer extension. Um, so additionally, we've, um, we sent notices to property owners within 400 feet of this site, um, alerting them of this uh, pending vacation action um, and inviting them to this public meeting. Um, to date, I haven't received any correspondence uh, uh, against this vacation asset, um, action from the public. Um, and we do have David Hamby um, is on the line from... Uh, who would be representing the um, applicant if we have any questions for him. Um, and with that, um, I can stop sharing my screen and, and answer any questions you all may have. Okay, any questions for Chris? Questions, Commissioner Sellers? Any questions, no? All right, then we will open it up for public comment at this time. I'm sorry. Yeah, public comment at this time. Yeah. Can't hear you back Open it up for public comment. Do you have any public comment? No. Can you hear me? Sure. Barely. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Is that better? Okay. Any public comment on Zoom? No, Mayor. All right, bring it back to the commission. Any discussion? Seems straightforward to me. Yes, yeah, yeah, pretty straightforward. Commissioner, nothing. Commissioner Sellers? Nope. Okay. A lot easier than two weeks ago. <laughs> All right. And um, if there's no discussion, then I would ask for a motion. Move to adopt on first reading ordinance number 9985. Second. I got a first and second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Passes five to zero. On to item number two. Receive presentation from city hall, city staff and project team on updates of the Kansas River Wastewater Treatment Plant Improvements and Nutrient Removal Project. Good evening, commissioners. At this time, I'd like to ask to share my screen. Go ahead, Leah. Okay. And everybody can see that? Yes. Great, thank you. Um, good evening. My name is Leah Morris. I am an engineering program manager for the MSO department. I have with me uh, Omar Mali, also on the meeting to help me present uh, this project as a project engineer. And we're going to talk about the Kansas River Wastewater Treatment Plant Improvements and Nutrient Removal Project. If I can move, there we go. Um, I want to look at the project scope just a little bit and what drove us to this project. Um, in 2019, our regulatory permit drove us to 
be making improvements in 2024 in additional nutrient removal, specifically targeting phosphorus removal. So we contracted for engineering services to look at process improvements for that reason, but we also identified that we wanted to do an overall condition assessment of the plant because the last major renovation was done in the late 90s, early 2000s, and we had a lot of a um, treatment process that needed to be improved or replaced because it was reaching its life expectancy. And Omar Mali will talk about the project team. Uh, good, good evening, uh, Omar Mali, project engineer uh, with the city. So as this is uh, a bigger scale of project, uh, we are using an alternative project delivery method that was approved by the city commission. It's a construction manager at risk, and we have multiple teams involved in this project. Uh, first of all, we have our consultants. We have Simpler Foundation and KU that uh, who helped us with the procurement phase. Um, and KU also is helping us with uh, answering any process-related and treatment-related questions. Also, we have the uh, engineering firm, Black & Veatch, and we have the uh, CMR construction manager at risk, McCarthy, as acting as the construction manager at risk and will be acting as the GC. Uh, looking at the project timeline, um, back in July 2020, uh, we have approved the engineering services um, for Black and Beach, then in April 2021, we have uh, the city have approved the city commission have approved construction manager at risk as the delivery method for this project. Um, then moving from April 2021 to August 2021, um, CMR RFPs were went out for uh, for seeking the CMR uh, team members and firm. Then uh, in October 2021 to December 2022, uh, we continued in design and CMR services. And in October 2022, GMP1, Guaranteed Maximum Price 1, was awarded in, in that month. Moving forward to this year, uh, in March 2023, uh, we have the City Commission has approved uh, the additional engineering services with Black & Beach. They will be performing construction engineering services and project controls. Um, this month in May, uh, we are uh, McCarthy have advertised the work packages, the construction work packages uh, for uh, proposals, and we will be receiving those and evaluating those to get an anticipated award of final guaranteed maximum price in July. And the construction activities have already started. We have some electrical improvement to the plant and the construction activity will uh, keep moving until the end of December uh, 2026. So throughout the design process, we really had to be careful on evaluation of scope. And some of the major items that we're addressing with this project are conversion of the aeration treatment basins to BNR basins. We're going to be adding a RAS fermentation tank um, we're going to be converting our current chlorine contact basin into a UV disinfection um, complex. We're adding a new server and SCADA facility to host that work and our servers. And then we're doing numerous upgrades to our existing asset management infrastructure, including pumps, valves, and grit equipment, as well as our uh, splitter box. Um, but we needed to do an overall evaluation as well. And so the items that we had to remove to um, be budget uh, friendly in terms of what we were evaluating overall, which I'll get into on the value engineering next, 
um, we, we had to remove those from the overall project. And a few examples of those are clarifiers and biosolids work, digesters, and you know overall updates, including brick facing. So we are going to be adding those to our current uh, five-year CIP, which you'll see with our upcoming budget presentations. And we have projects starting as soon as 2028. One of the things that we teamed with McCarthy on was uh, cost models. They did an initial cost model. This was before the 30%. Um, and we were, when we had the entire project looking at all of the things that we wanted to do, you know, we had very high hopes. Um, that project total came to the bell of about $84 million. So we had to make um, decisions on what kind of scope we could remove that wasn't regulatory driven uh, in order to get back within budget. And then we did additional cost models at the 30 and 60%. We have collaborated with both Black and Beach as well as McCarthy um, on a lot of aspects on this project. And one of the most complicated things about this project is that we have to keep the plant running during all of construction. And so we uh, have what we call MOPOs and they're the maintenance of plant operations. Um, currently, we have over 70 MOPOs that we're looking at, and essentially what that is, is it's looking at taking down one piece of equipment, diverting around it in order to um, work on it via construction. And so that really does take a lot of team effort. It takes City of Lawrence staff, treatment operations, maintenance, as well as um, people from McCarthy and Black and & Beach to make that uh, possible. So with the budget... Um, I wanted to show you what we have going forward and what we've already spent. So starting in 2020, we allocated 662,000. And as of this year, we have just over 59 million and the total pop project budget is just sitting below 71 million. The authorized contracts to date, as you can see below that, um, we have Simplar Services just below 60,000 and then Engineering design with Black and Beach at just over 5 million. Pre-construction services with McCarthy at 250,000. We have construction inspection services, which we authorized a couple of weeks ago with Black and Beach at just over 5 million. And again, mm -hmm. keep in mind, these are high numbers, but this is over the tune of construction for over um, four years. So I just wanna make sure that we're pointing that out. And then the GMP-1, which we awarded last fall, which includes the electrical upgrades that Omar talked about, um, at just over $8 million. And so we do have almost $19 million uh, encumbered right now for current contracts. Um, back to the value engineering. McCarthy ran value engineering models at um, before the 30% and then at the 30% and then at the 60%. So we wanted to make sure that we were keeping the project within budget and we worked together in order to contribute efforts making these value engineering decisions uh, within design constraints, as well as means and methods. Some of the value engineering items where we um, decreased the project cost were construction, construction scheduling and sequencing, alternate materials, um, shallowing up the trenches for electrical conduit, and evaluation of process equipment, as well as chemical selection. Um, the bid alternates that we're currently advertising include replacement of the grit removal equipment, installation of that UV disinfection complex and constructing the server facility as just a shell without finished interiors. And again, these bid alternates are to support the project to make sure that we remain within budget. 
and I'll turn it back over to Omar to talk about Envision. Right. Well, also, we understand um, that environmental sustainability is one of the six commitments to how we do our work in the city as listed in the city uh, strategic plan. So we are uh, within this project, we are seeking uh, project certification from Envision. And basically, Envision is a framework or process that uh, help us guide and guide us through design and construction to think about uh, more sustainable and resilient infrastructures. Um, it, it help us think about the short terms and long terms and impacts of the uh, construction project that we are trying to achieve here. Also, it helped the project to get the team members to get all along and work together uh, trying to make this project as successful as possible. Also, other interesting aspects of this project, understanding the importance of this project, we are uh, doing, have done a couple of activities like partnering meetings in order to bring all team members and team players together to align our goals and have a successful project at the end and to create an environment of collaboration and teamwork. Also, uh, McCarthy and the city have uh, conducted a contractor outreach to the industry, so uh, we'll be able to uh, make the project more appealing and more competitive to get to get more competitive bids uh, from the industry. Also, in terms of the public engagement, we have a, a website for the project. Uh, it's on the city website um, under MSO, Kansas River Wastewater Treatment Plan dash improvements. It gives the project overview and the new releases and a couple of other information that will help the public be aware of this project. Last but not least, uh, safety. Uh, we are also one of the important aspects we understand in this project is safety. Uh, this week is uh, safety construct, construction safety week, and all teams are presenting each morning uh, on a specific uh, safety uh, topic. Um, you're more than welcome to attend um, any of those topics and meetings uh, at seven o'clock in the morning. Just reach out to me or Leah to get you in the process. Also, we are participating in OSHA's National Safety Stand Down to educate construction workers about uh, uh, falls and fall incidents. Also, we are trying to create a safety of environment throughout the project uh, by uh, in, like fostering safety innovation and providing a suggestion box where all uh, employees will be uh, feeling belonged and increase the morale of employees during the construction. Lastly, I will turn finally to Leah for next steps and open up for questions. Thank you, Omar. Um, we wanted to wrap this up by just stating that the next time I anticipate to be uh, in front of the commission is in July when we anticipate awarding the final GMP. Um, where again, McCarthy is advertising these plans now with, with contractors and we will be receiving bids soon on those. So we hope to have final numbers squared up within the next 30 days or so, and then be prepared to come to commission to award in July. Um, and then again, we'll be in construction through 2026. Are there any questions? Any questions? Um, Leah, just, just curious. I know we obviously have two treatment plants, but not that this will happen. Um, but if something went um, wrong, you know, electrical outage or something during the construction. I mean, how long um, can, can we operate? One, the question is, can we operate solely off the other plant? I think the answer is no. But two, what's kind of the capacity? How long could we be down before we had issues um, that we had to discharge untreated water? 
Um, so thank you, uh, Commissioner Finkel-Dye. This is Leah Morris, um, engineering manager. So that that's an interesting question. We cannot operate the current Kansas River plant, um, you know, or sending all of the flow to the Wakarusa plant. It, it's not doable um, via our sewer system, as well as the capacity of Wakarusa. So if, if we were to shut down this plant, no, we could not treat all of our um, water at Wakarusa. However, if Wakarusa were to shut down, and it has, we do have the capability to treat all of the water um, at the Kansas River plant. And this project actually does not compromise that because we are maintaining our design flow of 12 and a half MGD during construction. Um, we just have to be very careful on how we bring things up and down in order to maintain that. And again, that's the importance of those MOPOs. That being said, we do have electrical redundancy. We have electrical redundancy at pretty much every pump station and we, we definitely have it at both of our plants. So if we experience an electrical um, outage, it's usually not very long before we can repower up the plant um, with that redundant uh, transmission main. And that happens all the time. Almost in every lightning storm that does happen and our operators are very skilled in restarting up the plant um, uh, using that big uh, transformer that we have outside. And we're going to continue that redundancy and actually make it better with our current planning that we continue having redundancy. And then again, we have redundancy within the plant as well. Um, that's why you'll see multiple aeration basins and multiple clarifiers. Um, there are very few points in the plant process where we don't have true full design um, redundancy. Thank you. And I think we'll, I think we, we're under a consent order. I mean, as I understand that, that lets us walk through this um, process through that, the building phase of 2026 and then get it up and running by 2027. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, Lee Morris, engineering program manager. Um, we are under consent decree and that gave us the flexibility within our, our current permit because our current permit, um, the schedule was really short on that. And the state is working not only with us, but as well as our surrounding municipalities um, on those same decrees because everybody's in the same position of trying to do these upgrades to target nitrogen and phosphorus removal as well. Um, so yes, our current permit does give us until the end of 2027 in order to meet the new permit guidelines. And in the interim during 2024, we'll be undergoing a new permit cycle. So we anticipate that permit um, to take place at the consent decree at that time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Other questions? I've got a couple. Commissioner Sellers had one. Commissioner Sellers? Why did I not see her? I had my hand raised, but oh, uh, thank you. Um, just to piggyback on that, that Commissioner Finkel and I brought up the, the extension we have until the 27th. So as we start to bring the different phases online, just refresh my memory. Are we, what would the impact be to any testing we have and and if there is an adverse test result as we're going through these phase upgrades, is there, what, what does that look like for us in that process? Um, yes, Leah Morris, engineering program manager. Our, our testing guidelines will not change during construction. Um, okay. So if we do have results um, that indicate treatment issues, 
then we do have a standard operating process in order to up the testing as well as address the treatment issues. We will be under our current permit guidelines um, for ammonia and solids removal um, through, through construction. And then again, starting in 20, at the end of 2027, that's when we will have to be targeting the ammonia as well as the phosphorus limits. Um, so we, you know, we have incredibly talented operators and management. So if there are issues, um, again, we, we understand how to address those during construction. And again, that's the importance of this, of the construction MOPOs, because we really are trying to treat as we treat today, um, except when we start to start up the additional processes, but we have people with Black and Beach as well as KU supporting us so that, you know, we can make that transition smoothly. Thank you, Leah. Mm -hmm. I have a couple questions. Oh, I just had a quick one. Yeah, go ahead. Just curiosity. Uh, I was just curious, uh, given what Commissioner Finkeldeye said, where we are on the life cycle of the Wakarusa wastewater plant? The Wakarusa, yeah, the Wakarusa um, was, we began construction in 2015 and uh, brought that online in 2018. So we are still, you know, we've been operating Wakarusa for five years. We actually have in our um, CIP planning, I believe in 2028, if not 2029, to look at constructing the second train out there in order to um, host additional treatment out there with, with again, BNR trains. So we are looking at doing that improvement as well. Um, as part of the overall look at this plant, we did look at would it be better in order to add that second train as part of this project to, to divert water out there during construction or just in the future. But, um, you know, with development and the way that our current pump stations are, we wanted to make sure that we could actually get true 5 million out there on the daily and not compromise treatment process at this plant. Um, so the priority was put on this plant in order to do that, but we are slating the additional train removal in 2028 or just shortly after that, if I'm remembering correctly. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I just had a couple questions. <clears throat> Did you have some? Okay. Um, on the on the budget, there is on slide number 10 of 19. Yes. I can that share. cost trend line. The budget at $46 million, what is that line? Um, considering we're at 79 million. Yeah, let me share my screen so that everybody has that reference. Is this the slide you were referring to? Uh, no, it's um, it had the, the cost trend line on it. Um, I think it's had the graph. There you go. Yep, that one. Yeah, sure. Um, when we started this project with McCarthy, this was early on, again, before the 30% design, so this would have been early 2021, um, we did not have as much funds as we do today because we utilized um, some environmental sustainability funds as well as additional funds approved, I believe, for the 2022 CIP budget. Um, so those were the earlier budgets that we proposed. Um, and again, we wanted to make sure that every budget dollar was utilized as possible, but that was the initial budget that we had put in the RFP for construction phase services. 
um, which was just shy of, I believe, $40 million. So, but we had increased the budget since then. And the increase is due to what? So the increase is due to um, the overall project scope as well as inflation. Everybody is well aware of the inflation that we've seen over the past few years. Um, we are seeing double, if not triple, and sometimes quadruple pricing that we saw back in 2019 as far as equipment um, and just overall materials. So, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were encompassing as much project as we could when we could, because we didn't anticipate inflation to slow down at any point. Um, and hopefully it will, but that's why we increased the, the, the project, because we knew if we delayed additional asset condition asset management replacement, that it was just going to cost the city more in the long run. So we would like to do additional projects with the budget that we have currently. And I talked about some of those being the clarifiers and the biosolids and the digesters, but we only have so much budget. So we really are trying to get um, our money's worth out of this project. We are definitely doing the regulatory improvements as well as some of the condition assessments that are needed. So will this project, once completed, get us to the regular, regulatory point of being in compliance throughout the whole pro project? Yes, Mayor Larson, it will. Um, it, it, this project will allow us to not only target phosphorus removal as indicated in the permit, but we're also uh, looking at nitrogen removal as well because that's where the permits are trending. We have nitrogen removal limits at the Wakarusa plant currently, and we will, you know, we assume that that's where our next permit cycle is going to be, and that's been the um, communication from the state as well. So those items that you discussed that you pulled out of the project due to budget considerations like the clarifiers, I believe you talked about digesters, um, are those items that um, um, bode to any sort of environmental concerns that, that we're missing out on, um, anything like that? Um, no, those, those are simply going to be um, process equipment. And I don't want to call it replacements because technology and wastewater is always improving so that we mm -hmm. have the capability to do improvements. And we're looking at that now, especially with um, like the clarifier technology but we have existing clarifiers. They will work for the process. They will work for the design process as what we are showing in the plans today in order to target the removals that we are bound to uh, remove via our permit. But in the coming years, we will need to do um, replacements and improvements with the infrastructure that we have now just to maintain our assets. So did I hear you correctly when you said that the items that you're removing now, you will put back into the CIP at a later date? Is that what I heard? That is correct. You will start seeing projects um, in the 2028 CIP year. I believe the clarifiers are the first ones. And then we have um, a handful of those scheduled out through um, 2030 and 2031, if I'm not mistaken. And, and again, that's that's what we have now. We will be adding projects, you know, as things come up and, you know, the regulations change, uh, change as needed. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Appreciate that. Any other questions? Commissioner Sellers, am I seeing you there? Good. Um, so we'll open it up for, for public comment at this time. Any public comment on this item? From the audience, if not, we'll go to Zoom. No, Mayor. 
All right, we'll bring it back to the commission. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the update, and uh, looks like we're on track to go ahead and uh, meet our consent decree. Yep. Well, I'll be holding on breath and when we open up the <laughs> the bids. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, let's yeah. hope they come in with something we can handle if maybe they come in low. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I think it's yeah, the important thing for me is just that we're getting ourselves our uh, project and our processes that'll be regulatory up to reg regulatory snuff as well as technology wise and the idea that we're going to have to continue on with um, additional equipment in the out years, I think that's just going to be a consideration we have to make with all of our projects like this is you're going to have to, there's always going to be something that we're going to need to replace or upgrade. So I do appreciate your work, Leah, and staff. I really do. Um, just um, continue on. Thank you for your time this evening. Absolutely. And, and it stresses the importance of our asset management. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. All right. We're on to commission items. Commission items. Anybody? Items? Just real quick. I. Uh, uh, go ahead. Commissioner Sellers, go ahead. <laughs> We're so kind. kind. I was just going to say I wanted to. Thank Britt and Sam for the annual economic development report that we approved in the consent agenda. It's such so, mm -hmm. so much good information in there, and we just kind of approve it on the consent agenda. But um, it's it's always very interesting um, to read and, and a lot of good information in there. I just want to thank him for that. Mr. Sellers, did you have something? Um, I did. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, my first commission item. Uh, that I wanted to bring up was if a, I know that we approved for us to be on the 15th uh, with the county and I wanted to do some follow-up as to if and when an agenda would be um, shared with the commissioners in regards to what we would be discussing during that meeting. Yeah, I can give you an idea on that. Um, I met with Patrick Kelly a few weeks back. And we discussed the um, idea of talking about the fire med um, proposal to the needing additional fire stations. And given that we're going to be there for an hour, I think it's just an hour long, that that would be a pretty significant discussion to have um, time-wise. So that's where we were at since that involves both of us. Okay, so that's very different from the conversation I had with you via email. So. Um, and I know we had discussed last time, since I wasn't at the last uh, joint meeting, I did. I was able to watch part of it. Um, I have concerns when that's only meeting for an hour. It doesn't seem like that gives us enough time to be fruitful in discussion. And since we did not discuss what potential items we have, and neither have we discussed uh, frequency in which to have these conversations, I'd like for us, if, if this is something we're going to continue, that we either create some type of frequency in it, uh, where we have regular ongoing conversations with the county um, so that we're not limiting ourselves to meeting with the county one time a year for an hour and piecemealing together 
conversations when we could have a robust conversation at least quarterly or semi-annually. Because if I don't, if my memory doesn't escape me, what I shared with you in regards to recommendations and talking about housing initiatives and legislation that came down this year from uh, in Topeka, you had shared with me that an agenda hadn't been discussed and that we I could bring these items up during commission items. So I just didn't know yeah. in the three days that we had that conversation, what changed that now we have a set agenda that we didn't have one three days ago. I guess I'm, uh, what I recall in the emails you had, had asked about it, uh, the program RHIP. RHID, the Rural Housing Initiative. Yep, sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. And so I just uh, bringing that up as a commission item, more than happy to, you know, have the commission obviously determine if they want to have a have a conversation about that. I didn't. You were wanting it with the county. I didn't. That was laid out explicitly in my email. Okay. I didn't I didn't catch that part. Sorry about that. Well, I do Sorry. believe in the email, your reply that it was to bring it up during commission items to see if there was consensus yeah. with the commissioners to put it on right. the agenda for the joint meeting. But if okay. not, I would like for us to have the opportunity. And it looks like the week I'm supposed to be gone is when the Safe Welcoming Neighborhoods is going to speak. And I, it may be too quick to bring to have Leah bring that up, though I know she's been doing the work on um, doing a report out for the RHID. Um, and I would hate to be gone for that conversation. So perhaps we could put a pin in it and have Leah present something at the next outcomes meeting, although I think it would have been a great opportunity to have that conversation with the county. Okay. Um, my other commission item is um, we know that Congress is going through uh, the budget process, and there are several items as regards to the debt ceiling, um, not just in the farm bill, but also in uh, appropriations that could potentially be cut. Um, one of them being in regards to housing initiatives and specifically around uh, housing vouchers. And so wanted to see if we can have, if staff can pull, and I know, again, Lee has been looking at this, if we can have staff pull um, any information out of potential uh, cuts of programs that can have a direct impact to how we have uh, social organizations that either receive funding from us or our partners in this work of affordable housing and addressing uh, homelessness, that we can write a letter to our delegation uh, in regards to protecting uh, those programs. So I know there is uh, looks at potential cuts to HUD programs, and that can directly impact uh, a lot of our our partners in this work. So wanted to see if what other commissioners felt about that and uh, sharing those uh, regards with our our congressional delegation. Any thoughts? I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's also part of our uh, legislative priorities. I'm fine with it. I just uh, just wondering when when that conversation would happen. I don't think it needs to be a conversation. I think it needs to just be a simply just a letter. Okay. Yeah. Because we've fine. had those conversations with them within the last month. Okay. 
just a nice reminder. And then lastly, uh, just wanted to get an update from staff in regards to the uh, Kansas Opioid Settlement and where we're at with um, any direct uh, opioid dollars that we were to receive on a municipal level. I know that there's been several rounds of grant funding on the state level through the Attorney General's office, but just didn't know if we, if and when we've received our uh, apportionment of those opioid dollars from the settlement. Mm -hmm. We get an update on that. Yeah, I can say that we have, um, we'll give you uh, an, uh, an update more specifically on what what monies we received and what we're allocating them for. Okay. Allocating or proposed allocation? Um, probably proposed allocation because I don't think we've had them for that long, but we'll, I, I need to get updated on that. All right, thank you. That's all I have there. Thank you. Any other commission items? I've got um, one. There were several questions that were asked tonight by the neighborhood regarding the Prairie Park Nature Center. I'd appreciate it if we could get a summary of those and get them addressed. Uh, of the questions? Yeah, of the questions that were asked. Yeah, concerns that were raised. I appreciate that. Okay. Okay, if nothing else, we'll, oh, we'll move on to um, city manager's report. All we have is future agenda items. That's all we have. Okay. Any questions for Craig? If not, I'll open it. This is a public comment item. I'll open it up for public comment. Seeing none in the audience. Anybody on Zoom? No, ma'am. Okay, bring it back to the commission. On to um, um, calendar. Anything of note that we need to... Uh, I, I think... At least Mayor and I will be at the Justice Matters event on Sunday. I don't know if anyone else will be there, but um, yeah, that's might, right. Might be worth putting on the calendar. Sherry, I think it's at three o'clock. Three o'clock at the lead Center. Yeah, I think so. And I'm sorry. Do you mind saying the day, the day again? This Saturday. Sunday. Sunday at um, three o'clock at the lead Center. Yeah, we'll get it updated. Anything else on the calendar? If not, we'll ask for an adjournment. Move to adjourn. Second. Uh, first and second on adjournment. All in favor? Aye. Nay. Nay. Passes four to one. <laughs> Have a good evening, everyone.